This is a review week for the Sunday school teachers. So I wanted to use today, knowing we'd have less time than normal, to do what theologians call an excursus. It's kind of a side study. As you're studying through the Bible, sometimes you get to questions that you say, huh, I really would like the answer to that question before I move on. And two weeks ago, when we studied Elijah passing on the mantle, so to speak, to Elisha, and we saw him carried up in the chariot of fire, I said I would speak more on that later. So today's the day. If you'll open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. So this will be a sermon this morning, but also like a Sunday school lesson wrapped in one. And sometimes in Sunday school, we like to do what's called sword drills, where we'd say, turn in your Bibles, and everyone would flip, and the first one to get there would, would raise their Bible. And um, it was always the same kid every time. And maybe we'd give them a treat. So this morning, no treats. We're not going to hand candy out. Oh, I saw that. Oh, I'm good at these. Especially if your Bible's electronic, that's not fair. You can just punch it in, and instantaneously, you're not only on that verse, but 10,000 translations of that verse. Welcome to the modern age. But the Word of God is still the Word of God. It doesn't change. So 2 Kings 2.11 Here's the scene. As they were going along, Elijah and Elisha, as they were going along and talking, behold, there approached a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. What was that all about? That's new. There's something we haven't seen before or since. What are we to make of such a thing? It's not just that it's a miracle. We have no problems with miracles in the Bible. We understand this isn't the normal way God takes people to heaven. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. It's just that our theology tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So did Elijah die? Did he die? Did he bypass death? Was he alive in the air and somewhere between here and wherever the intermediate state is? Theologians call that period between when you die and get your resurrection body, the intermediate state. Is Elijah in his intermediate state? Was he separated from his body? Is he in the spirit? Does he have his earthly body with him? Did he get his resurrection body already? This is messing with my theology. And this is the way my mind works, and I know yours does too, especially our engineers. Ah, a puzzle to be solved. What happened to Elijah, and how do we reconcile that with the rest of the Bible? And like the good Bereans, we need to get our answers from the Scriptures, not human speculation. You read commentaries, and and you get all kinds of options here. So, normally when you read the commentaries, 90% of them fall in one area. And we say, well, that's pretty safe to say that's, that's the answer we're going with. But they're kind of all over the map on this one. So, we know God took him, but we're not sure if he died or he didn't die, or does he have his resurrection body, or is he in his original body, or is he separated from the body? 
So I hope I have you on the hook and you want to know the answer to this question. Let's start with um, some other passages we know speak about death. Somewhere in the Bible, I recall God saying that it is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. Does anyone know where that verse is? Hebrews 9.27. So turn in your Bible, sword drill. Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews is after all the Pauline epistles. I believe it's placed there because some people think Paul wrote Hebrews, so they put it at the end of all of his letters. Uh, We're not completely sure who the author is, though we know God inspired it. So, in one sense, God's the author. Hebrews 9.27, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once... And after this comes judgment. So Christ, also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. Well, there we have it. Men die once. Unless you're Lazarus. Who died twice. Or theologians get out of that conundrum by saying he was resuscitated just like some people are pronounced clinically dead and then come back to life. It's not that they died and came back to life. They were resuscitated. But, boy, he was in the grave a long time to be resuscitated. So now you're thinking, well, I know my Bible doesn't contradict itself, so I started with one question and now I have more. And that happens sometimes when we study. Has that not happened to you when you study the Word? Questions are good. Keep, keep searching. I do want to tell you one thing here. You have to be careful when you go to a completely another passage to answer questions about a different passage. It's called proof texting. And it's a dangerous way to do theology. Not dangerous to read the Bible and study the Bible in context. Dangerous to pluck a verse out of context and use it to answer a completely different question. What is the writer of Hebrews talking about in this passage? He's... he's uh, He's talking to Jews who are now converted Christians mostly, but they're, they're still afraid to leave the Old Covenant. And he, the whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is the true and better. The New Covenant's better than the Old. Go ahead and leave the Old Covenant behind. Come to the, come to the New Covenant. And in the Old Covenant, the priest had to go in the Holy of Holies every year and offer sacrifice for sin. And they weren't sure if God would even accept the sacrifice. They had to wait for the priest to come out of the Holy Holies alive to know that God accepted the sacrifice. And he's saying, though, but it's appointed for men to die once. And since Jesus came to be our substitute, he only needed to die once. And he's a better sacrifice. You don't have to keep sacrificing Jesus again and again and again. On the cross, he said, it is finished. The finished work of Jesus Christ. So, in general, the writer of Hebrews is saying, in general, yes, it is appointed for all men to die once and then judgment. And he's using that general principle of life to say, 
Therefore, Jesus only needed to die once for us. So, we won't use this as a proof text to determine whether or not Elijah actually died. Let's try another one. How about Romans 5? Romans 5. This one Paul definitely wrote. Do you know your Bible is not in chronological order? Romans comes before 1 and 2 Corinthians, even though it was written after 1 and 2 Corinthians, because Romans is considered Paul's magnum opus, his, his greatest work. So they give it a position of prominence in the canon. So Romans 5, 12 to 14. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Okay, there we have it. Death spread to all men because all sinned. So, Elijah must have died because he's a man. And all have sinned. But again, we're proof texting here and that this is not the purpose for which Paul wrote this passage. The purpose was to explain that sin is breaking God's commands. The Jews would say, yeah, but the law of Moses didn't come until Moses. So what about all the people before the law of Moses? And what about people who don't get to hear the law of Moses? Are they guilty of sin too? Like if I didn't know the rules, why am I accountable if I break them? And Paul's making the argument that no one is with, out, with, a, with an excuse. You didn't need the law of Moses to break God's laws. And the proof of this is that all men died from Adam to Moses. So you get to Genesis chapter 5, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and he lived hundreds of years, and then he died. And so-and-so begat so-and-so, and he lived hundreds of years, and then he died. And he died, and he died, and he died. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, and from Moses and beyond. Except for a guy named Enoch. Turn to Genesis 5.24. Oh, I can find that one. That's at the beginning. <laughs> one of the most beautiful sounds on all the earth is the sound of Bible pages turning. People turning in their Bible. So... As much as I love the digital age, I think they should make our phones make that sound. <laughs> of course, before there were pages, there were scrolls, so I'm sure it was a different, an, an unrolling sound. So, Hebrews 5.24, Enoch. Let's see, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah, who's the oldest 
man recorded in the Bible, where we get the saying, he's older than Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. What does that mean? Like, is that from like a human perspective? One day everyone looked around and said, Anyone seen Enoch? Anyone seen his body? No. Maybe he just died somewhere else where people didn't see him. And um, because death reigned from Adam to Moses. But then we go back to Hebrews 11.5. So go back to Hebrews. Come on. You were just there, so you should be able to find it really fast. I'm playing by the same rules. Look, no sticky notes, no tabs. So, But I wrote the sermon, so I kind of know where, where I'm going. Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. Oh, no. Now we have two people not dead. Both their names begin with E. Maybe you <laughs> changing my name to Ernie or... I'll just take the BR off. I'm int from now on. That's no way to do theology, people. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So, through faith in God, which is how any of us escape eternal death, Enoch was taken up. This is not the norm, we understand. But now I'm wondering, does Enoch have his resurrection body, or does he have his original body? I'm getting farther away from the answers here. Well, let's go into the New Testament. Right? The answers are concealed in the old and revealed in the new. So, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Because the New Testament talks about Elijah. So, we ought to look at passages that talk directly or indirectly about Elijah for more clues. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist who at this point had been beheaded. And others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Sometimes you come to the Bible with questions and Jesus has his own questions. His questions are more important than our questions. Not that our questions aren't important and that our Lord doesn't invite us to ask questions humbly, with awe and reverence. 
In this case, Jesus asks a question and follows it up with another question. But who do you say that I am? It doesn't matter what other people say I am. It matters who you say that I am. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. No one, no one had answered the question like that yet. And Jesus says, that's the correct answer. And blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, the most important questions have to be answered through revelation. Through revelation. God has to give us the answers. So there's important questions and important answers. The Bible tells us we come to the Bible to find out not only the answers, but the right questions. So maybe my question this morning is the wrong question. I still want to know the answer, though. And we're not out of Elijah passages, so let's, let's keep searching. Just turn one chapter later to Matthew 17. What's the sound of one page flipping? <laughs> the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. It's like God peeled back Jesus' humanity for a second, and the, his, the glory of his divinity shone through. Wow. Our friends from CBU had a great night on the mountain, but it wasn't this great. I would have liked to have been there. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Like in, in the flesh? Or apparitions? Like in the spirit? Now Moses definitely died. We know that because they buried him on Mount Nebo. And we know from the book of Jude that the archangel Michael contended over Moses' body with Satan. But Elijah, so do we have one dead guy and one not dead guy? Or what's going on here? And they're all talking and having a conversation with Jesus. So it's not a figment of the apostles' imaginations. This is really happening. I love this because we all know Peter. is impetuous and doesn't stop and think. Peter said to Jesus, and notice the, the tense of the verbs, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter totally interrupted Jesus talking with Elijah and Moses. I wonder if he used the growing kids like interrupt rule. Like Did he, did he put his hand on... He's not going to put his hand on Jesus... Jesus is transfigured and is glorified. And he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. So certainly these are beings. They're, they're in actual form. I'm going to make tabernacles for them to live in. 
while he, while he was still speaking, while he was still rambling on, missing the point, a voice came from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I think that's like a divine shut up, Peter, and listen to him. Boy, do I need a divine shut up every once in a while. How about you? God gave Job a divine shut up. But Job was going through terrible misery and suffering and thought, I've got a question for God. And the question was, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. And God said to Job, Now, O man, I will ask you the questions, and you will answer me. Where were you when I created everything out of nothing? And on and on and on God goes, and finally Job says, Woe is me, I've spoken of things too wonderful to understand And he repents and duds and ashes and says, I I trust you, God, with the answers. Even the answers to the hardest questions. Even if it means I won't get the answer until I see you face to face. At which point, maybe all these questions won't matter anymore when we're in his presence. We'll have all eternity to sit at the feet of Jesus in the school of God learn and soak up and be filled and satisfied. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up, do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Remember, the last time Jesus told Peter he would die, Peter said, no, no, not you, Lord. The Lord said, get behind me, Satan. Like Connor had told us, our plans are too small. Peter thought he had great plans. Jesus will inaugurate the kingdom, overthrow Rome, and I will sit at his right hand and reign with him. Those are big plans. God had bigger plans. I will die and raise myself up on the third day and redeem humanity so that all who put their faith in me may reign with me. Not just Peter. Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. By the way, we won't turn there, but this is a reference to a prophecy in Malachi Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that, Mount, that um, Elijah would return before Messiah comes. So they've accepted Jesus as Messiah. Why hasn't Elijah come first? Well, we just saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. But Jesus says, I say to you, Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. In Matthew 11, we read Jesus saying that John the Baptist was Elijah. 
He came in the spirit and power of Elijah to pave the way for the coming Messiah. Elijah, in the Old Testament, remember, his name meant the Lord Yahweh is God. Paving the way for Elisha to come and announce God saves. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah to say, there's only one true God. Prepare your hearts for him. Repent. And then Yeshua, Elisha, Yeshua, a form of the name Elisha comes. God saves. The Bible tells us that Elijah will return before the second coming. Some people think that the two prophets... In Revelation, one might be Elijah, some think the other's Enoch. That sounds neat and tidy. I could run with that, but the Bible doesn't give us any clear word on that. In my my end times theology tells me I won't be here. So I'm gonna get taken up, whether at my death or if the Lord comes before I die at the sound of the trumpet. So I still don't know what happened to Elijah. Turn to John chapter 9. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Their theology was that bad things happen to people who sin. And indeed they do. But not everything bad that happens to us is because of our sin. We live in a fallen world. So they had a question, like we have a question this morning, and they had narrowed down their question to two answers. If people die because they sinned, and bad things happen to people who sin, like becoming blind, who sinned? And you see the conundrum. If the boy was born blind, how did he have any time to, to sin? But if the parents are the ones to blame, that doesn't seem fair. To punish the parents with a blind son. So they had a difficult question like we have this morning. They narrowed it down to two answers and Jesus said, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he went on to heal him. Wow. Wow. My view of God just went up a few notches, if, if that's possible. So you're saying sovereign God planned that this boy be born blind because he knew Jesus would be there at that moment to heal him from his blindness, to bring glory to God? Yes, that is what Jesus is saying. So sometimes, even when we've narrowed our answers down to two, they might both be wrong. That's humbling. So we study, and we study, and we study, and we listen to good Christian theologians and read the commentaries, and we know in the back of our mind it may be none of the above. But it's not our answer to every question. That's the easy way out. That's the kid who didn't study and just marks C all the way down. 
take my 25% and run. That's not what we're saying this morning. Study to show yourself approved, a workman not, not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How about Luke 13, 1 to 5? We're, we're, we're hanging around the Gospels here. I wish they would have put Luke right next to Acts, because Luke and Acts go together. Written by the same, same guy. So Luke 13, 1 to 5. Here's another example of people having a really important question. Great, it's a great question, an honest question. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So here's the situation. Some people went to the temple to sacrifice to God. God-fearing, God-loving people going to make their sacrifice. Pilate killed them, and their blood mingled with the blood of the sacrifice. How profane and insulting this was to the Jewish people. But they had a question for Jesus. The question's unspoken, but you understand the question. How could God let this happen? Were these really evil people for this to happen to them? And Jesus says, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? There's the question. And here's his answer. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. How's that for an answer? I'm sure that just blew them away. Whoa, hey. <laughs> or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? People going for a walk, bad day to walk near the Tower of Siloam. Down it fell, crushed 18 people. And you know there was probably like two or three here or there that it just missed. Why them and not them? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Maybe the question this morning isn't, what happened to Elijah, maybe the question we need to ask is, what's going to happen to me? I'm not counting on a chariot of fire scooping me up. And the Enoch thing's probably not happening with me. Am I ready to die and meet my Maker? How can I be ready? I was, while in seminary, interviewing for a job as a math tutor just to make some extra money while in seminary. And the entrepreneur who started this tutoring company in Santa Clarita said, can I ask you a question? Why is somebody with a math credential, someone who's been, um, forgot the word, Tenured three times, applying to be a math tutor. What happened? He assumed I blew it and got fired. I said, oh, no, God called me to something else, something more important. And I gave him my testimony. I said, do you know the gospel? And he said, oh, yeah, I was raised Catholic. And I, 
that could mean anything. I said, well, I was raised Lutheran, and I didn't know the gospel growing up. I mean, it, it was in our liturgy, but I was spiritually blind. Couldn't see it. Spiritually deaf, couldn't hear it. And so I told him the gospel, and I said, so what do you think? What's going to happen to you when you die? And he said, well, I have a question. What about people on the other side of the world who never get to hear the gospel? What about them when they die? So that's a great question. I've asked it many times myself. But here's my answer. God found you today, and he's telling you the gospel. Do you really need to know the fate of all seven billion people on this planet before you will make the most important choice you will ever make? He didn't answer, and I didn't get the job. <laughs> but I planted seeds, and I'd like to think he thought deeply about the question. Good question, what happens to all the people around? Look, if God can see to it that you're hearing the gospel this morning, you can trust him to get the gospel to whom he wants to save. So... Don't use unanswered questions as an excuse. Well, as soon as I get all my questions answered, then I'll believe in God. Not going to happen. It's always another question. And honestly, if you had the answer to every question in the universe, you would be God. Then you wouldn't need to put your faith in God. So on the one hand, there's grace and mercy to, to say, yes, life is hard down here and there's difficult questions we have. But also, at the same time, sometimes these questions are out of pride. Like Job, in a very difficult place, God's grace and mercy reached out to him. But at the same time, Job, you need to stop asking questions as an excuse to not trust me. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, I know you can find this verse, John 3.16. So you're not even turning there. You've got it memorized. <laughs> That's right. I, I will perish. I'm going to die one day, and I don't know what's going to happen. And so the author of life and death has the answer for us. The one who died and rose again, he's the one we should ask. And Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, we started with one question, and God gave us a better question. So I ask you today, if you put your faith in Jesus, do you know what's going to happen when you die? There are only two answers. Either I'm welcomed into the family of God or I stand before the judge of the universe trying to convince him I'm good enough to get into heaven. Ain't going to happen. Put your faith in Jesus. Let God ask the questions, and let God answer the questions. And the questions he has for us 
He's already told us what the right answer is. Believe it by faith. The rest will just leave up to Him. I'll finish with Deuteronomy 29.29 and then we'll invite our friends from CBU to come up. Close us out and dismiss us. Love this verse because I'm a guy with questions. I can't help it. Deuteronomy 29.29 The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of this law. Don't let those unanswered questions keep you from trusting in the answers we do have. And don't let them keep you from obedience. Well, as soon as I get the answer to this question, then I'll get up and evangelize, make disciples, serve. Now that question will just lead to another and to another and to another and to another. Secret things belong to the Lord, but the things He's revealed to us, be, be faithful to trust in those things and obey those things we can't understand. Amen? Amen. Why don't you come up, friends, and lead us in worship. God in His providence. I didn't know the song they were going to close with. I found out this morning a perfect song to cap off a sermon about death. He's alive.